0: What is up, Gypsy gang? We are back. This has been a long time coming, unfortunately, uh, but it's for a good reason. Uh, We have been busy. We just moved down into Burley, and this is like where the permanent home of the podcast is gonna be for the foreseeable future. I need to read out the ads as I do each and every week, Um, and we have a new sponsor on board for the show this week. But every time a new advertiser comes on, I really want to reiterate the fact that I'm just not trying to sell this shit out. I really want to believe, I want you guys... Basically, it's like, I want you guys to buy what we're advertising because it is good, essentially. like That's really the long and the short of it. This company that is on board with us now is a company by the name of Ridge Wallet. And It's a really cool story. Uh, The guys reached out and they said, oh, have you heard of this company? I was like, actually, I had one of your wallets in the US, but I fucking lost it. And I was Devoed and I just, I never ended up getting another one, but I really liked it. It's a minimalist wallet. Um, We've posted some photos to our Instagram. Uh, It's a minimalist wallet and it's got the uh, RFID um, protection. So people can't like scan your cards. Uh, It's made out of either titanium or carbon fiber. Basically your cards go in, it expands out um, as your cards go in and the wallet is basically the size of a business card. It's just the thickness. Uh, changes as you put more cards inside. Because let's be honest, with when it comes to a wallet, like receipts should be given to your tax folder. Like, whatever folder you've got, Let there's no reason you should like put a receipt in a wallet and just let it sit there. And then you end up with this ridiculously fat wallet of receipts. And I'm guilty of it until I got my new Ridge wallet the other day. Like that's what I did. And I went through my wallet And I took out like three cards and a little bit of cash. And that's it. I'm like, dude, this is ridiculous for this weight that I've been carrying around. You just don't need all that shit. And you especially don't need to be holding onto receipts for months and months like I do. And I know everyone does it. Uh, So with the Ridge Wallet, super minimalist. Uh, it's It's literally the outline of a credit card. But it's just a little bit thicker. Um, I've got the titanium version, uh, which you'll see on our Gypsy Tails Instagram at Gypsy Tile Podcast. Podcast. Um, and yeah, it's it's really cool to have one of those again. So it was really cool when the guys reached out and and were like, Have you heard of this? And I was like, Man, I love that product. A bit of background, they were started as a father son company funded by Kickstarter, uh, and now they're killing it. But it's just because every now and again, a couple dudes have a really good idea that solves a problem that you didn't know you had. So yeah, as uh, as a favor, as a gift, make this whole process a little bit easier. Uh, you can get free worldwide shipping and you can also get 10% off uh, by going to ridgewallet.com slash chips going and use the code chips going as always. Uh, and you can get, yeah, that free worldwide shipping and 10% off. The next ad is to the homies at Nobby. Uh, I am going to Thailand, uh, sorry, Vietnam tomorrow, uh, like I alluded to at the start of this. I'm going for 10 days and I'm taking 10 Nobbies with me. That is 10 months uh, of your subscription. I'm going to have fresh duds every time I swing a leg over that damn motorcycle Uh, because we're riding from the top of Vietnam to the bottom, or the bottom to the top, whatever. It's like the Top Gear Tour. Uh, So we're doing that. I'll have my girlfriend on the back. Uh, She will probably be in Nobby's as well. I'd say there's actually a very, very good chance she will be in Nobby's the entire time too. Um, But yeah, besides the point, you can go and join the Nobby Nation at nobbyunderwear.com.au. 20 bucks a month gets you a fresh pair of deadly duds. Um, And yeah, this has been a partnership that has been... Really, really good for us, and it has also been really good for a lot of the gypsy gang. A lot of you have subscribed, and I get a lot of feedback. I get constant feedback uh through Instagram about how good the undies are, how pumped they are. Again, I'm not out here trying to sling shit. Uh it just uh, just suck. It'd suck. I'd hate to be here and just be bullshitting and then people be like Dude, fucking underwear is shit. Why'd you sell me this shit? Uh, but that's not the case. Literally, I don't get that. And it feels good. Because I just, yeah, I don't want to be doing that. I don't want to be selling garbage. As well as these two legendary companies, we are also brought to you by Dahomies at Boost Mobile. <coughs> Excuse me, at Boost Mobile. Uh, and I just want to give these guys a quick shout out uh, for what they have done, uh, with their new, uh, V8 supercar team, uh, stepping up, becoming a title sponsor and supporting two, uh, up and coming, I guess you could say stars in the making. Uh, and they've got a really big emphasis on like kind of creating a name out of these guys and making, making it a lot about the drivers, not just the, uh, not just trying to get a logo on the car. Um, and I think that they sort of do the same thing with the podcast in a way. They're not as interested in what logos are going to be where and, and how we read the ads. It's uh, I think it's more of like a support thing. They get that this is, I guess it's like relevant to the culture and, you know, it's not, it's not just like a service kind of deal. Like this podcast does you know, offer something to people, I hope. Um, so yeah, just wanted to give a shout out to those guys. As always, you can head to uh, boostmobile.com.au, check out their ridiculously good uh, prepaid plans. They uh, they won a bunch of awards last year for a prepaid um, provider of of the year. Uh, and they've got some really insane, uh, new packages, uh, that I'm going to be reading on the very next episode of the podcast, which I'm actually about to record. Um, but yeah, that's it for right now. And we are going to go into, uh, another one of these Supercross companions, which have been super fun. Myself and Mick have been busting these out and we're going to work on a bit more cool stuff, uh, to sort of spice them up just a tiny bit more as well for everybody. Crazy season. I've been enjoying it. Um, Here we go. Righto, Gypsy gang, I'm back. I'm back from my Vietnamese adventure, uh, which was incredible, but I don't want to go too much into that today. Uh, We're going to do another one of these little Supercross news things, but I'm just going to completely rip uh, Joe Rogan, and we're going to call this the uh, Supercross Companion. So basically, we'll start doing a little bit of these. We might even carry it into motocross, but it seemed like people enjoyed the first one um and we actually got featured in the new red bull moto spy series which i thought was pretty cool uh i'm joined in studio by my producer and the gypsy tales producer uh old legend himself mick so mick is gonna be um in on this one shooting us through some topics to kind of talk about uh again sam moore motherfucker (laughs) he just went to america again living the dream um so i was going to do this with sam but i actually think um ben townley is going to come in and do this with us next weekend so it's not all bad news um but yeah so it's just me and mick on this one uh slowly getting the studio set up so over the next couple of weeks we'll be able to like watch videos while we're in here and do all that stuff so um yeah but for now we'll just get into that with just me and mick um so Let's just get into it Mick. What is our first talking point for the Supercross Companion Episode 2?
1: All right mate, well we we'll get straight into it. How do you think the training is evolving at the Baker
0: factory? Um All right. So the whole like I think with the Baker factory like I guess the the question is is that we're not like the question within the question, I guess, would be like, we're not seeing the same dominance from Alden's guys specifically Mm. in a way, but we are seeing their new guy, Cooper Webb, starting to be dominant. So it's like, I need to start this again. Not I didn't kill it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I don't know with that the way like just saying it as a question as such works. Like I think it needs to be more more of a state more of a state more like, like conversational. So yeah. like I'll just ask I'll just ask you what you've thought of the series so far or something. So who
1: we got who we got in the Baker factory currently? We got Webb. Yeah so we Zach got Zach Osborne.
0: Yeah, who's hurt and then you've got Marvin he's as back well. Last week. What's that? Zach's back oh yeah yeah
1: he crashed but he's back
0: oh yeah that's so cool
1: so Zach Webb Marvin the other Husqvarna guys so wait
0: let's just actually it's just that that's just not a good first question so nah. maybe the question thing is fine um well,
1: it just starts off really raw doesn't it what have we got um
0: so I guess just maybe the first thing be like alright well, so what's your take on the you know you, you missed a couple of rounds Webb won both of them while I was away right Yeah Oh mate Yeah he did
1: Did he? He went last week Yeah Did Tomac win the week before Or was it the week before that? No because I remember I The one that you recorded on that day Webb won didn't he Then
0: is that the one that was
1: I'm just trying to think So last week Webb definitely won against Roxson Yeah The week before
0: Yeah so that's the only week we have missed Yeah Yeah
1: Yeah so yeah he has
0: No, yeah, and then he won again, so right?
1: So, Web, Webb's won four now. We're up to round seven. So, mm. Webb's won four. So, it started... Barsha won the first.
0: I'll just get this thing from Webb. Alright, so just start. Let's just start with the whole. Um, just be like, damn, it seems like Cooper Webb's on a roll. Like, basically, that's what we'll do. Yeah. But I'll just see last weekend's results.
1: Yeah, so last weekend was Webb, Roxon,
0: And was that the one where it was super close?
1: Yeah, point two eight. the closest so ever. Yeah,
0: up. that's all we've missed. Yep. And then today.
1: Then today, yeah, Detroit. So last weekend, I think, was Minnesota. So yeah,
0: just say like. All right, so Minnesota. Was it Minnesota? It was, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Just say like the closest race in Supercross history, or like was it Minnesota? Well, just say last week. Yeah, last week. Yeah. All right. All right. So I'll just do like an intro again. All right, Gypsy Gang, we are back for what I'm going to call just a complete rip off of Joe Rogan and his fight companion. We're just going to call this the Supercross Companion because that's what it is. So this is a Supercross. This is a companion, little buddy, to help you get through the Supercross series. Uh, We're just going to be speaking on, I guess, the current events. As we go forward, I would like to... We're supposed to have Sam here again. And I just need to get... Sam, put me on your Google Calendar, please. Because I just don't know where you're at in the world. Um, I thought we'd be able to make it happen again with you, mate. But turns out you're in the U.S. again on uh, fist work. So it's just me and the Gypsy Tales producer himself. Big Dog Mick is uh, in studio. So he is going to be uh, feeding, feeding us some topics uh, to sort of uh, speak on. Um, and then I think we have Townley in the studio next weekend. So we might even actually watch the race with him next weekend. So anyway, we're trying to figure it out again. Um, I said it before, but still figuring out the new studio. Um, but so far, pretty pumped on it. Uh, Mick, what is your thoughts on the Supercross series so far? Last weekend was a fucking doozy.
1: Well, yeah, absolutely. Um, we're in probably one of the tightest seasons that we've we've seen for a fair few years. Last weekend's finish came down to 0.28 of a second, which is nothing.
0: Um, I wonder what 0.2, like, was it 0.02? Like zero zero two, two eight, s- yeah, yeah, two tenths. Like, what does that even look like? You know what I mean? Like, if you had to put that close of a finish into perspective, what does that even look like? Like, what are some comparisons you could actually draw? Like mm. that, that kind of time is like world records swimming kind of increments. Absolutely. You know what I mean? Like, there's not motocross and supercross doesn't normally come down to that no there was nothing literally nothing in that win which like i guess man that sort of segues into almost another topic of like ken losing by that because he had he he really had that whole race like we saw Tomac go down at the start yep and then ken just out in front and it's like You know, I said on the last one that he's trying to play that dungy role. But at some point, like, where do we hit the mark where people are going to stop saying, like, it's so good Ken just stays in the hunt and he's being consistent to when is Ken, like, when will he win one of these things?
1: Absolutely. And, like, we're at Detroit this weekend. Um, You know, it's a pretty crazy track. You you start to think that Ken should be getting to the point of winning one. Like, he's, you know, um, everyone else is in that hunt has won a race at this point so it's time i think personally i think it's time that he he gets to that point especially when you're leading a race by that margin to have someone like webb come through on the confidence he's got from seventh it's huge so
0: yeah and that's the thing like you actually raise a pretty good point there is everyone else has won. yeah that's in the, well marvin hasn't won though no so I mean, there you go. There's two title-heavy, heavy hitters that are in the hunt. Like, it goes Cooper Webb, Ken Roxon, and Marvin Musquin in the points lead. And the dudes battling in second and third haven't won a race yet. So, like, are we putting... I'm saying Bash is an outlier at this point Yeah. for the Supercross Championship. I don't think he factors in our conversation. Eli hasn't shown enough consistency to be in the top three mm. at like basically the halfway point of the series. So are we throwing him out of the championship? So now the three dudes that we potentially have able to win this championship only one of them has won a race and he's won four now. So it's like to me it's starting to look like this is Cooper Webb's championship. Absolutely. Like, is it? Is it the sort of you know, the Cooper Webb show, just about at the moment,
1: like you've got a guy that came into the season somewhat under the radar. And now, with four race wins, midway through the point of the season, he is it He's to lose? You're like, really?
0: Well, it, you, I think you have to say it's Cooper Webb's championship to lose as of right now. But the crazy thing with Cooper is that Cooper Webb is not the kind of guy that will think that this is his to lose. Cooper Webb is the kind of guy that gets excited that it's his to win. And there's a big difference. And I think that, man, maybe a guy like Eli Tomac has looked at it as his to lose Mm. and he has lost it. And you get a guy like Marvin that it's his to lose. And I remember being a golf fan, listening to interviews with Jack Nicklaus and Arnold Palmer, two of the greatest golfers yep. of all time. And those guys, like it gives me goosebumps now to talk about it because they, they would say in interviews, I live for the moment mm. where it's a six foot putt downhill, huge break to the right. And that's to win the masters. Yeah. And Cooper Webb to me, has that same Arnold Palmer, Jack Nicholas? like he wants the big moment. Mm. He's not the kind of guy that wants to win a championship in an easy way. He's not the kind of guy, I mean, I'm sure he'd be happy with it, but he's the kind of guy that's going to like march to the flame. Yeah. He's going to walk into it and that would be, he gets his confidence from winning those small battles where he has Yep. pushed in and Anaheim won to me like when I saw the way Cooper Webb rode at A1 I honestly thought there's a dude that was just risking it mm. and I was like that's not the move dude like anyone I I thought anyone could go that fast if they wanted to any one of the top dudes but they just weren't because they were being smart about the championship but then when you roll the dice like that and it pays off like that yeah you're like oh shit like this just gives him tickets on himself that's like i'm the man ticket i'm the man ticket
1: absolutely and now he's backing it up with perfect consistency too yes speed and consistency is huge
0: yeah you get the speed which is what got him from practically last to fifth in the mud at a1 yeah and then you go all right i'm a bad dude and then you start getting some starts dialed and then you win kind of from the front and then last weekend you come from seventh to charge to first and win in the small like even that is crazy to like a lot of dudes would be happy to go from seventh to second that get on the podium that say you know what we minimize the damage tonight we gonna take some good points out of here tonight wasn't the win we were after we're gonna chase some gonna chase something to work on our starts and then we move on and maybe that's what Ken's been doing Mm. because that speech has come from Ken a lot which we've been praising him for it seems like the move Mm. given the fact that he has crashed out of the last two seasons but with Cooper we didn't get that I'll take second and I'll you know take the positives out of this weekend we'll move on to Detroit no He went for it Mm. on the last lap and he won with the smallest margin of victory in Supercross history. Absolutely. And what that does is that is the biggest slap in the face of Ken Roxon. because Ken has been the guy that has just been taking the seconds. He's been going and giving that speech on the podium and I'll take the positives and they are legitimate positives. It's Mm. not like it's an act like it is a positive you're mm. on the box and we've seen in the past that if you're on the box every weekend like Ken's been that when you get to Vegas you're really going to be in the hunt mm. but Cooper just he's not doing that and he saw an opportunity to steal a win from the guy who had the red plate essentially taking the red plate from Ken Roxton. Mm. it's like that's a gangster move absolutely it's a game changer for it for the Big series time big time and it's like I get worried now that Ken is going to be in this headspace where he is going to doubt his ability to win if you can't win from the front when Eli crashes and Cooper Webb's got a seventh place start then can you win at all Mm. you know and I mean right now the media is raising ken and it's the same thing that i said last week for this consistency and it could still be the move like that could still be yeah. what wins him the championship we don't sure. know yet but there will be a point where the media will start asking questions and that's just like the media is like the first people that will be the elephant in the room mm. and the elephant in the room will be in Ken's mind as well. Everybody has that. Every athlete, yeah. everybody has that elephant mm. in the room, inside their mind, that will say, can I win? And races, like last weekend, where Coop come from seventh to win, and like, why, did, why was Ken leaving the door open like that? Like, surely he knew well, that the, he was there. The experience
1: of Ken Roxton is huge. He... Like last corner of a race the board would have been saying that cooper webb's on a charge like he's come from seventh through the pack and beaten everybody surely he would have known at the last corner that webb's going to be there and that was a big whether or not it was a calculated mistake or running some form of risk um that, that's got to play part into the last half of the season that's going to bring up some sort of flashback to him if it comes down to vegas or something it has to so it's going to be very interesting to see
0: yeah it's it's just i don't know it's just weird to at the level like ken roxon is a world champion yeah. ken roxon is an ama champion like it just that race was won. Like, yeah like ken you just won your first race no you didn't hold up Mm. photo finish and cooper got ya, and it's like it's just a bowl turn just go to the inside protect the line yep. and roll the fucking finish line if you have to like it just <clears throat> does it doesn't i mean it's easy for us to say but it to me it's not like there's any it's like if you're going and it's a the last let's say there's a whoop section and then a 90 degree turn and then the finish line like, a run through the whoops, you you can't fault a dude if they, like, just don't get the run through the whoops. There's, like, 18 or 10 or however many whoops there is. There's, like, obstacles in your way that have potential every time to upset your bike to the point where you might miss a line. Like, I get that. But just in a simple ball turn mm. with one corner to go, like, I don't think... I think even the armchair warrior of me... And a guy that's, like, I've, I'm friends with Ken, I just, I don't see why you would lose that race. And like you said, that could be, like, a massive momentum shifter in the mm. championship. And we said before, Coop runs on confidence. There is no one in the series that has more confidence than him right now. Absolutely.
1: And if we look back at the, the last few years, we look at Roxon, we look at Tomac. They're guys that have got genuine speed mm. like has Webb joined that like he's got consistency obviously for four wins but now he seems to have the speed to match as well is that something that you see as well
0: well you can't come from seventh to first and not have yep. speed like at that point you're the fastest dude on the track mm. so I mean yeah like he he has to have speed and he he knows he has the bike and maybe maybe there's a thing like i know we'll, we'll talk about the whole training stuff next but like now he has the whole alden thing and it, he's he said it's because of his fitness but i mean he was a beast on a 250 and i don't think the old program that he was on with Swanepoel was like a worse program than alden's or anything like that like all those dudes were killing it but there's a difference there's a massive difference in being fit for a 450 and fit for a 250 and it's not only the fitness in terms of the longer motos on a bigger bike with more weight everything that a 450 brings at that uh like the intensity that a 450 brings then you add in the competition that the 450 brings like there's so many elements yep to the whole fitness puzzle that i think that it wasn't so much that his last program wasn't good. I think it just takes time to adapt. He was injured last year. So I think that he's got the fitness, which I think he would have had whatever program he went on, but obviously Alden's program has been proven. Um, but yeah, it's just more now. It's just a time thing. He's had more time. He's obviously super comfortable on the bike. Um, and, I mean, it's just, like, the puzzle pieces have just slotted yep. together for Cooper Webb. And, like, it's been, the cra- it's been a crazy season. Mm-hmm. Like, it's so close up until now. There's so much unexpected narratives have played out. Anderson's out. Champ's done. basha wins the first round. Crash is out, essentially, of the championship when he missed those rounds. Kenny's up there in the dungeon role and Marv just hasn't really showed up yet absolutely
1: and if we we touch on the Marvin thing we look at um for race most race people to beat your teammates the biggest thing to, to do how must his confidence be feeling currently he's been obviously the Dungey years now you've got Webb coming in do you feel that he's riding on confident Marvin is or what, what do you feel about Marvin that
0: Marvin would feel like shit yep right now absolutely like He was cool with the Dungey thing. They were really good friends. They still are really good friends. And Marv was leaning on that whole second rider thing. And maybe that has become a bit of an Achilles heel in his career. Because when Cooper went to Yamaha, Chad was there. But Chad wasn't the top dog of that team. Cooper was the top dog of that team. Cooper was the guy that Yamaha wanted to come out of the 250 class with all of those championships and go straight in and start winning at the premier level, which didn't happen. So, Cooper is used to being the number one dude in the 450 class. Mm. So, I don't think many people have talked about that. So, you get a guy that's used to being the number one guy, goes over to KTM, and then they're saying, it's all good, you got a two-year deal, Marv's our top guy We want you to go out And win as many races As you can So straight away The pressure's off But then you start Beating Marv Consistently You got the red plate Hey Coop You're the number one dude again And this isn't different What He spent Three races As the B-rider Air quotes Mm -hmm. B-rider For KTM Before he's back To being the top dog He was the top dog At star He was the top dog At Yamaha and now he's the top dog at KTM like we're seeing a trend absolutely and we're also seeing a trend of Marv being the number two dude
1: yeah and for last weekend that uh for Cooper to come from seventh and he just came past Marv like it was it must be very difficult you know they're running the same programs um yeah how does that season shape up for
0: Marv moving forward now the it's, it's interesting. Like the whole Marv thing to me is interesting because he's hired a writing coach in David Villaman. And I've seen footage of those guys like working together and they've got Marv like working on turns essentially. Mm -hmm. And it's like in my head, as soon as I saw that and you're giving feedback, like Marvin's a world champion. Mm. We've seen times where when the track gets rough and technical He makes supercross look so much easier than anybody else and in a way that i feel like french people only know how to do Mm. like villaman in his day was so smooth so calculated he never won championships but he was that that french flow you go back to jean-michel bale he invented french flow Mm. then you go to christophe porcel takes the french flow to a whole new level and then you get marv the way he jumps through whoops the way that when tracks get super jacked he just makes them look easy so it's like why are we hiring a riding coach for a guy that is one of the more effortless riders in supercross mm. and then when you're telling him or like making him do these turns over and over at a test track and it's like i get it Like, I get why you would want to work on your quote-unquote technique, but at the top level, when you're the number one rider for the number one race team in Supercross, I'm not for yes-men. I just don't... I think you need people that keep it real with you. But in the sense of Marvin having a riding coach telling him that he's not doing turns right or that he should be doing this, like, that dude's got enough to worry about. Why are we muddy in the waters right now with another dude? So you've got Alden, and Alden semi acts as a riding coach sometimes too. Or like when I've been at the Baker, the Baker's Factory, and I've seen them interact. Like he is telling them lines. He is, and he said he knows that he's not a professional motocross rider. So like, I don't think he's ever fully felt comfortable in that role. Maybe he wants someone that is more accredited which David Villeman obviously would be mm. but at the same time like why like Marvin is this is a I think a make or break year for Marvin yep. like last year he was the A dude and he had a great year didn't win the championship and then this year the A guy has just been booted by the success of Coop so it's like this is a make or break year He's a longtime KTM dude. He knows that bike better than anyone that's on one right now. He has mm. all the resources. And I just think that by bringing in a riding coach at this point in your career, I'm like, dude, you don't need to learn how to ride. Mm. Like Chad said on the podcast with us here, like he doesn't even ride that much a lot of time. It's like these dudes know how to ride. That's not the missing piece of the puzzle. So, I mean, I just, I don't know. I don't know what, it is, and I don't know where like, we go from that with Marv.
1: Well, we've brought up, you know, we've touched on the Baker Factory a little bit, conversation, in conversation. Mm. Do you think there's something with that program? Um, obviously, Marv's been on that for a fair few years now. Um, ha- has it got to a point for Marvin that it's plateaued for him there, or is is there something with that, do you think?
0: I just think that the whole so we've got some competing camps right yeah in this whole ecosystem of training camps and it was invented by alden which is the baker's factory so right there he's basically got an exclusive deal with husky and ktm so all of those dudes have that program available to them. marv takes it up cooper's there zach osborne's there Um, and then we've got some of the Troy Lee dudes there I believe Um, Jordan Smith who has that same option available same deal he can go and ride at Alden's he chooses to ride at MTF which is in Georgia right near Ricky's Tallahassee it's like basically like 2 Ks away but it's separated by the Florida Georgia line and Jordan chooses to ride at MTF so I wonder with the whole training program deal, if Alden was just so ahead of his time, and now we've seen this period of, like, when did he really come into the sport prominently? It was maybe like 2004. Four or five, yeah. So we've had like 14 years of people to figure out what he's doing. And I think that what's happened now is we've got to a point where these guys have facilities. I mean, all the dudes at the top have been on Alden's program, really, except Tomac, who's always done his own thing in Cortez, Colorado, with his ex-world champion mountain biking father, John Tomac. So their program's solid, and they're over there doing their own thing. But in terms of everyone that's at that top level, they've all been on Alden's program. And I think that what you're seeing now is a guy like Ken, who he was there he won a championship on alden's program has now gone off to the moto sandbox which was formerly the nest formerly Poto's, formerly langston's so he's like taken what he liked from alden i'm assuming and what he didn't like and has now formulated his own deal with his brother-in-law blake savage who was also a super talented rider when he was racing amateur, he, he did some pro stuff, I'm pretty sure, but I just don't. I think once he got there, he decided that he wanted to go study in, in uh, the sports stuff instead. But they've now got their own deal. And then you see riders like Chase Sexton on that program, uh, Adam Cincerello, So you've got like this whole group of dudes that is now riding out of this new Moto sandbox with Ken as like this figurehead dude that they look towards. And if you look at Ken, he's, like, shaped like a Greek god. So, like, the fitness side of what Ken's doing is, I don't think, ever really been doubted. So, I think it's just interesting. I think Alden had this secret source that it wasn't, like, that secret. There was no, you know, it's not like you can't follow his program, but it's like Alden was the first dude to introduce that style of training and we're now 14 years into the alden era and i just think people have a people have been on that program and moved on and have taken what they liked and dropped what they don't mm. and then i think that there's just been enough time it's been so well documented like how many times have you seen training how many times have you seen dudes doing workouts you've seen the exercises you've heard alden talk like I just think now we're at a point where people know exactly what's going on with that program, that it's like Alden was so far up here when he first started and it's taken this long for everyone to catch up. And it's almost like these dudes are just all running at such a high level. Like Baggett is fit for 20. We've seen that. Mm. Cooper's one. Eli's one. Marvin Kenner right there. So it's like I don't think that the whole fitness thing is like as much of a secret as what it was when Alden first come in. He changed the game and now everyone has bought that standard. But I think what's really interesting is the whole Jordan Smith at MTF thing. Like he's a dude that just hasn't done the Alden thing when it's available to him.
1: And having the option obviously and the success that's been through the Baker Factory... Do you think that comes from like loyalty to the facility or what, what do you think drives that?
0: I honestly don't know, but Jordan Smith has been at MTF for like almost his whole life and it would be super hard to leave. Like you want to talk about a comfort zone? Like you've basically lived there since you're a kid and there's people around you that have put so much effort into what you've mm. done, your whole your whole life I don't see it being easy to leave that and you look at Ken leaving Alden that was like a two year deal you know they worked together for two years didn't like it moved on can you imagine like 10 11 12 years and then trying to like break up the band at that point family you, they would yeah. be family yeah like Jordan Smith would have spent more time at MTF than in his own house with his own family and then you expect him to leave because now there's a deal with alden granted alden's one of the best trainers in the world and has the most wins of any trainer ever but is that enough to essentially break up a family of jordan and mtf but i mean is it the best move for your career
1: absolutely and like moving forward there's a lot of hopes on jordan smith with that team they need to win a title mm. like realistically and um you know when you've got the option to to train at the baker factory that has put out all these champion champions you you would start to look at it as a as a team owner would is this the best option for my rider um obviously he's super consistent there's speed there but there's a package being paid for through somewhere yeah. Would you would you expect
0: to him to break up that family and move over to there or I wonder how that works. It's delicate <laughs> though because like it's like you think about when you say like a rider wanting to terminate his contract. You can't you like you never see teams keep a rider that wants to go. You know what I mean? Yep. Because riders don't want to be uh Riders, we just had some traffic. Sorry, guys. Riders don't want to, or team managers don't want riders riding for them that don't want to ride for them. And I think that same thing would apply for trainers. Mm -hmm. Like a team wouldn't want to ride a training with a guy he didn't want to train with. I think that they would force the issue if it wasn't working in terms of where he was at. But we saw last weekend, if Jordan didn't have that crash. He would have been on the box and he was chasing Faulkner down. So at this point, we're two rounds in. No one's hitting the panic buttons yet on Jordan Smith not having a race win. I think that, I mean, I thought, and I said on the last episode of this, that this was going to be Jordan's title to lose. And this could be the first one that comes the way of the Troy Lee KTM team. But Jordan made the mistake that I said Austin would make. Chase Sexton made the mistake that I said Austin would make. So, I mean, I don't think that you push the panic button enough to go, Jordan, what you're doing isn't working. Like, I don't think that's the case right now. I think that it has to go a little bit longer but I mean the choice is made like he's not he will not be just switching camps midway through and going on to the baker's factory like that's not how it will work I just I think like the main drawback with MTF and I don't know for sure because I'm not there I don't know the riders coming out of there but the thing with the baker's factory or the thing with moto sandbox is the group of guys that you're riding with And if you look at Moto Sandbox, you've got Christian Craig, you've got uh, Cole Sealy rides there at times, I think, when he's on the West Coast. You've got Ken Roxon, you've got Adam Cincerelli, you've got Chase Sexton. All dudes running up the front. And then you go to Baker's Factory, and you've got Marv, you've got Ando when he's healthy and riding there. You've got Osborne, you have got Cooper, you've got the other dudes on the Troy Lee team that want to be there. So it's like, it really is this murderer's row in terms of speed and dudes running at the front of the championship. So it's like, that is what I think Jordan is missing out on. But again, I'm not at MTF. I don't know the level, but I can't see it being the same. So that to me is like the disadvantage. Again, I think that, I think we've caught up And especially in the lights class, I just don't think it's as big a deal as it is when you go to the 450 class in terms of the fitness required. A, because the bikes, again, the mains are shorter, but it's just the season. You literally do half the races and the races you do do are shorter. So I just don't think it's as big a deal. But what I do think that he will miss out on is just being around dudes that are riding at that speed every single day. But I mean, then again, you say to that is like, do you want to be riding at that speed every day? Like, do you need to be going that fast every day? Lewis Hamilton isn't doing laps in a Formula One car with Nico Rosberg and battling it out every single day. And it's like, those dudes have a roll cage. Mm. So it's like, I don't know. Do you need to be going that hard every single
1: day? Absolutely. And and we start talking about like back at the uh, the Marvin thing, like the techniques there. Jordan Smith has got his technique. He's the same. They all know how to ride. They know how to ride a bike. So do they need to be at that pace at that point, riding as fast as they possibly can? You know, come what is it, Monday to Thursday, probably at the facilities uh, before they head back over back over to the race.
0: And and that's what Townley (coughs) was saying too. Like he was just pushing and pushing and pushing and pushing. And like all his big injuries, except for the one that he had at uh, Kuna Barabran were all practicing and just pushing and pushing. It's like, how, how hard do you need to go? Like, is there now a culture around doing these motos and being on that edge? Is that just a culture that it's like you, if you relate it back to like the UFC, Like a lot of guys now, modern training camps are going away from guys sparring at full contact. And it's like, is because the risk of injury, it's just like getting hit in the head over and over and over. It's shortening dudes careers. So it's like, are we just in a case where there's become a culture around? This is how you have to train. This is the only way you can be fit. This is the only way you can be fast. It's like have we just got to a point where like maybe it has gone too far and we are asking too much of these dudes through the week. Like yeah, you're right. I don't think Marvin needs to ride 4 days a week to remember how to ride by the time he gets to the track. So, I don't know. What uh what do we what else have we got to talk about?
1: Well, <clears throat> I guess coming into Detroit Eli Tomac has carried some genuine pace obviously through the season. Do you think that mistake last week is detrimental to his season, confidence-wise?
0: Yeah. I mean, it's like the same story with Eli. Like, we're literally watching... Well, we're not even watching last year. He hasn't even won... He's won one race. So, I mean, at what point is that even in his head that he can't win? And I don't think it's that he can't win. It's like he makes mistakes when he is winning or should win. It's like, what, what have we got to do? Or what has he got to do? And then it comes down to like, is it the bike? Because it's that new 2019 Cowie? And here's the thing with that. The stock bike might be way better than last year's stock bike. But last year's factory bike could be way better than this year's factory bike. Because they have a, a life cycle of R&D. So it's almost like have they just not caught up R&D-wise on this new bike and he's not comfortable on it? But it's the same crashes. It's like it's that front end. That they're just losing the front. So how much of that is set up and how much of that is just like plain rider error? Like you just come in too hot, you grab too much brake and you lose the front. Like we're not seeing... When Ken crashed... And had his huge over the bars thing that to me looked like bad timing and a bike that put him over the bars in a way and I say that because of his monster energy crash soup uh, of his monster cup crash, first ride on the Honda super similar crash to the one that broke his wrist that uh, broke his elbow and wrist, so it's like that to me is like a dude that just didn't quite expect the bike to react that way or made a mistake and couldn't recover from that mistake if that makes sense but with like washing a front to me just doesn't seem like this unexpected bike sort of thing but maybe he is used to more feeling in the front on last year's bike but he was still doing that on last year's bike so to me, it's not like that. This is like this uncharacteristic error. It's like this is now becoming a characteristic trait of Eli Tomac. Let's be winning a race, and let's what? Let's wash the front. So like I don't know, man. Like and that that really could be a turning point of the series to where he's just yeah, it starts to be in his head that this is the, this is just Eli Tomac now. This is what I do. So, I don't know. It'll be interesting. Like, I feel like Detroit this weekend... I mean, it's actually probably on now as we record this. But Detroit this weekend will be... It's super important for Ken to win. Ken Roxton has to win in Detroit. To keep... I'm not going to say to keep his championship alive. Because I think Ken's going to be in this championship no matter what. But I think for Ken to now lay a claim as a championship for his to win i think we're going to get in a situation where it's going to become it it, right now it's cooper's to win and ken's to lose and i think that if ken doesn't win then i don't think people are going to say it's ken's championship to win if that makes sense whereas right now we're saying that about cooper
1: absolutely and it's at this point you, you look at the consistency that cooper's got it's Coopers to lose Which is a massive statement at this time But um, And you look back in, in recent history This is about the time That Eli does come back And do a, a late run in the series as well So there's There's some exciting times ahead Within what's coming up as well Obviously as well So
0: Yeah and then you've got Daytona too Which is a place where Eli's Obviously done really well um, yeah. In the past I think that I think Ken's going to be good at Daytona um, I've just got a feeling that Honda's going to get that bike like really dialed for that race. Um with the way that Jeremy Martin rode the bike there a couple years ago. Like he just went out and he was on the factory Honda and he was just killing it um early on. So I don't know. I think Honda's just gonna get the bikes really dialed in for that. I think that the other thing though too is like if Eli's struggling with bike set up right now, then what's Daytona gonna throw at that thing? So, I mean, I don't know, that could be that could be bad news bears for Eli. Um have we got what else have we got in there
1: so what do you think about the whole rocks and web beef? do you think it's calmed down
0: moving forward how How does that play out for the season? yeah, that's like an interesting one, man. I think that the whole like the whole like cooper Ken rocks and beef I think someone was on the pulp show and said that it was over a girl, which like i don't I don't like I was thinking about it like how much of this do I tell because I like, really know. I really know the story behind this and I don't know if Ken wants me to go into that story. I don't know. If Cooper probably doesn't either, but um so I don't know. I don't know if I want to go into that whole deal. Maybe I will. Maybe I'll ask Ken. Um but there's definitely a, like a history between Cooper and Ken and it does involve a girl. So last year they come together. They crash and they both ruin each other's season essentially, with a takeout. One run high and one before the whoops. One clean another dude out in the whoops. I, if you go back to that crash where Ken run in on Cooper, I don't think that was like a full takeout to try and like as a result of beef. Like there was definitely bad blood there, but I really, really can't see Ken as the kind of guy that's going for like a vengeance takeout over a feud that involves a third party that won't be named and like I just I don't think that's what that was and I think that correlation equals causation was kind of added into the the uh, the conversation after the fact but I just Ken's just not the kind of guy like he just got married he's a very happy dude like All that stuff is so far in the past and I really cannot see Ken being bitter about that. But they're two athletes at the top of their game and I think to be an athlete at the top of any sport, there's a certain amount of ego involved. So it's like, I don't know, can you totally rule it out? Maybe, maybe not, I don't know. But then you fast forward to this year and people still talk about the Cooper Webb, Ken and beef and it's still going... And now they're on the podium together every weekend. So it's like, there is that that talk, but it doesn't, have, doesn't seem to have eventuated to anything this year. Why? Because we both saw the consequences of two dudes at the top of the sport coming together in a big way last year. It ended Ken's season and it ended Cooper's season, essentially. So it's like, I think that the consequences are too real at this point for those guys to have beef over something as silly as that. And again, Ken Roxon just got married to an awesome chick and is in a great place in his life. So I think that the whole Ken Roxon Cooper Webb beef, I think it got blown out of proportion because they obviously come together. They, they don't, they, well, they didn't like each other. I can't see them having a conversation and being mates at this point. I don't know, but I really can't see those two dudes as friends r- regardless. Like Ken and Dunge never even had any like legit beef and they weren't friends through their career. I just, a lot of these guys that are in direct competition that aren't in the same camps, they're just, they, they're not cool with each other. So many, it's like so much of the time. Unless you're Dean Wilson, and then you're cool with everybody. But yeah, I just think that we just saw shit get real last year, in a way. And I think again that crash where they come together is unrelated. I think at that point in time last year I could probably see Cooper pulling a move that would be out of like uh like in relation to something like that. But again, I still don't even think it was. I just think that Cooper had a lot less to lose last year than Ken did. And I think him running it in on Ken before the whoops was just like a, that's just what a young rookie essentially is going to do to a dude that he wants to beat. So again, I just, I don't even know that it was related even on Cooper's behalf, but I think now you get to a point where there's two dudes involved in the championship and we saw what happened when they come together last year and no one, Ken doesn't want that to happen again. Cooper doesn't want that to happen again. Honda doesn't want that to happen again. Red Bull doesn't want that to happen again. So I think that essentially we're just seeing the beef over. I don't think they like each other, but I don't think that's going to factor into this series. But God, it'd be interesting if one of those dudes took each other out. Because like, again, it would just start everything because there is history and everyone knows that there's history and I don't know to the extent what people know which is why I don't want to like go too far into it but it's like everyone knows there's history there so I don't know it'd be interesting it'd be crazy if they come together again it would be crazy but I don't think it'll happen
1: as a future do you see um, a Stuart style, Stuart Reed style rivalry of two great
0: motorcycle riders going head to head I mean, yeah, it's always, like, possible. I think that their situation was just, like, so unique and so charged. And I think that in the podcast... And, I mean, dude, that video on YouTube where we cut that segment out, that's our most viewed video ever. Like, people love that shit for for good reason. Like, that was so raw and real. And I think when Chad went in and broke that down in the podcast why it was so real and it was there was that connection where he was aboriginal james is african-american he expected a bit of camaraderie all he got was shade essentially from james and so i think that there was like so much more emotion in that and i think that like the cooper ken thing is like maybe emotional because of certain like that third party that was involved but again like Ken's married now like he just he wouldn't care like I just honestly don't think Ken would give a fuck and so it's like I don't know that I just think that thing with Chad and James was just so real and so raw and come from like such a a, like a deeper place than what yeah I just I don't know if we have that kind of like raw emotion in sport in the sport now as what that did if that makes sense yeah for sure absolutely so um, what else have we got on there? I'll just go through my notes as well before we wrap this up
1: I just thought sort I'd of chuck that in there mate nah man for sure because <laughs> um, like narrative wise mate this is this season we've got six points separate in the top three This is crazy the, this is this is the closest thing that we're going to get to seeing that style of thing happening again isn't Dude, it really? I just
0: hope this is the new normal though it'd be awesome like this this is what it should be like and that's where i think with like this whole training thing is it was so dominated by alden for Absolutely. so long but it's like he just had this secret sauce that it's ta- like yeah it's 15 years almost
1: and and the thing is like now all the bikes are good yeah like 100%. at that point say the the chad, chad stewart, like stewart and carmichael time it was the invention of the four stroke hmm. there's a couple of bikes that were really good there was this there was this but now,
0: they're all that they're good. all great, yeah. and
1: all the athletes are at their peak. Like, you cannot. There's a peak. There's got to be a plateau for bike, bikes, basically, <laughs> and then obviously the rider as well. Like the Baker factories put it to that peak. And well, and
0: I think I think like the industry, the sport collectively is at a point now, where like you said, the bikes are phenomenal, amazing. Yep. The athletes are phenomenal. Yep. There's no like there's 11 dudes that are basically factory riders in the 450 class one factory rider doesn't make the top 10 every weekend like it's elevated the sport has elevated to such a crazy level now and everyone's on that level it's not just the Alden dudes that have a good bike and a good program equals winning like like you said it's it's so close throw a blanket over the top three in the championship and it's it's how it should be and I always thought it was going to come I honestly always thought it was going to come down to tracks I thought we had to do something with the tracks to like to get better racing the triple crown format I think has played a big role in this whole deal right and it's a triple crown this weekend so maybe that's something that is underrated as well because when did Coop get his first win the first triple crown yep so so You look at a guy that he, Anaheim won, he came through and was like basically the fastest dude on the track in the mud. And you can kind of like write that off, like I said. And then you give him the triple crown. He goes out, wins two of the three races, bang, gets the overall. And then all of a sudden he's like, oh shit, I can win a 10 lap race. Then I I can win two 10 lap races. That's a 20 lap race. So now you take that confidence into the next round and whether it's a 20 lap main event or a 10 lap uh triple crown then I've won both and I think dude Justin Brayton's a great example of that Justin Brayton won triple crown Motors, and then he went and won Daytona last year so it's like maybe it's as well something that plays into this is like the introduction of this new um triple crown format where it like gives dudes a sniff it gives them that confidence and then they can go on to start to put it together in these 20 lap main events.
1: Absolutely. And like now we're at uh, Detroit for this round, Um, triple crown crown format. You got Zach Osborne's back obviously last weekend. For people that are coming off injuries and that, this format's such a good thing for them as well.
0: Yeah, I definitely think so. I mean, I know like Chad said he doesn't like them, but I mean, I think they have to stay. And I honestly think it should be 50-50, really. Like, I don't yeah I mean I, I've, I, I thought we needed the tracks to change to get closer racing and closer championships but looks to me like the triple crown format has kind of done that um, so yeah I mean I'd almost be in favour of going 50-50 to be honest and then like two Daytona style tracks um, let's go through the notes here yeah, what do you um, just seeing what we covered um, trying to make it too boring so I don't have to edit it out yeah, I mean, really, like, the story's just web, dude. Like, yeah. he's just insane. Yeah. Once he gets rolling, it's like, we saw that in the 250 class. Once he gets rolling,
1: see ya. There's no stopping.
0: Yeah, it's over. And obviously, in the 250 class, you don't have the same caliber of dudes. You don't have the number of contenders. But slowly, we're whittling it down to Ken and Marv in the top three, Eli almost feels like an outlier. Eli almost feels like the dude that's like, yeah, he can win, but he's probably not going to win the series. That's what it's like feeling like. But everyone says the series starts at Daytona and we've seen how good he can be there. But at this point, I don't have anything telling me that Cooper won't be that good at Daytona. And I know how the Baker's Factory prepares for Daytona. Like they build a Daytona track. KTM goes there WP goes there that week before Daytona will be so heavily focused on getting Cooper's bike and Marvin's bike dialed for Daytona that like I don't even I don't think that it's gonna be a factor like I think they will go there as prepared as anybody else and I said before I think that they'll do the same thing at Moto Sandbox like it's crazy the level it's got to when these guys are there's just so much preparation that can go into it that the programs, the facilities, they're so dialed. And yeah, I guess that's sort of what we were saying before. It's like everything has elevated in this sport now to the point where everyone is as good as what the Alden program was. It was unique. And I just don't think it is now. I think everyone is on that level. So, all right, well, I think that is it. Um, just going to do one last look at my notes, make sure we haven't forgotten anything. Faulkner? Faulkner's a beast, dude. What do you think? He just... He just killed it. Like, I just thought he was going to make... Like I said before, I thought Faulkner was going to make the mistakes that Jordan and chase have done but i'll tell you what man chase Sexton looked so good and so did jordan before they crashed so i don't know but yeah you've got um you got a dude like austin that's on fire he said he wasn't even feeling good last weekend like he thought those dudes were gonna catch him they then pass him and and they made mistakes i mean he wasn't even a hundred percent last weekend uh and still made it happen still got the win So I don't know. It's still like it's early days. I think it's hard because you get to the East and we're in like a rhythm of like we know who the contenders are in the 450 class, like things have kind of settled out. So you look at the series through that lens of things being pretty well settled. And then when the East starts, I think we look at dudes that win two races and we look at them in the same way as we look at Cooper. So you look at that top level dude on the East and then you're, you're looking at him in the context of like the whole championship, but they haven't had a whole championship. Like at round two on the West Coast, when we had Colt Nichols with the red plate, you still like there was still reservation like, oh, it's early days, it's early days because it's on the West and everything was early days, if that yeah, makes sense. For sure. Yep. But now you carry it on to the East and a dude gets two wins in the East. And then you think straight away, you hold it in the context of the, the whole series of like, well, it's the midway point and he's won two races. Like he's the dude to beat. But I think we need to be conscious of the mentality that this is basic. It's the West coast all over again, two races. It just means nothing. But he looks good. He was super fast, and he won even on a day where he didn't think he would. So, I don't know. Could be bad news. But, like I said, we just I think we have to just keep that early days um, approach for this run. So, all right. I guess we'll wrap that one up. Uh, just bang on an hour. Bust out a quickie for everybody. Everyone loves a quickie. Um, yeah, so... This will be on YouTube. Maybe we're it on iTunes as well. Um, Thanks for watching. And yeah, uh, the whole YouTube thing works well if you subscribe, uh, like this video, um, and yeah, stoked. We, um, like I said, we're gonna be working on getting this whole setup in here a lot better. Like I said, we did the Vietnam thing, which kind of put a halt to any R&D going on in here. Uh, But we're going to get it better. We'll have some guests on and we'll be watching some stuff on TV. We'll actually, yeah, we'll be able to go a bit deeper into these uh, and not just talking, which I think will be fun. Uh, So everybody, thanks for watching and thanks for listening. And we'll be back with another Supercross companion very shortly. Uh, Thank you all.